Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, Ohio State and Florida State are ready to be crowned after an incredible week eight. And we react to USC letting Alex Grinch be put on the line once again. All that and more right here on the week eight live reaction show of the three technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. I give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. How about that? Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back in to the live show week eight reactions here on the three technique, along with Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Glad to have you with us, uh, Garrett. This was a really, really busy evening slate. We've been kind of scrambling all over uh, trying to get our notes prepared, watching felt like seven different screens. Um, just a lot going on here tonight. What what uh, what games did you have your eyes glued to? Man, one well, the evening slate. I got to say, I was jacked up on these Utah Utes, just, I mean, going absolutely crazy. Uh, had my eyes on Virginia for a little bit. Virginia coming up with a huge dub. Um, and then, obviously, I mean, everybody, I feel like, was watching Florida State Duke for a long time. So, um, big statement there for the Knowles. And so, you know, I'm doing that. And as we as we talk right now, I've got a two-point attempt for the uh, Miami Hurricanes here in the second mm -hmm. overtime. And uh, curious to see how this one finishes off. If they can convert this. I mean, Clemson hasn't been very good on offense in this one, so I'm curious to see if they could come back from that. But, yeah, man, I mean, even as we're talking now, I mean, just glued to football. It's 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 a great, great Saturday night. Stuff starting to ramp up here in the fall. And coming down the stretch, there's going to be a lot of big matchups. Clemson not being good on offense might be an evergreen green tweet at this point. <laughs> uh, they are – Oh, my goodness. They are just not elite on that side of the ball uh, anymore whatsoever. Oh, and he just um, rushed it in, converted. That's a two-point attempt there. Go. They did. They're up uh, They're up by eight now. So Clemson not only, not only has to get the touchdown, they've got to get the two-point conversion as well. Uh, loaded show for you guys. If you're over here on the live stream on YouTube, uh, thank you so much for hanging out. We are so close to 400 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So if you're new here, if you're watching live with us, uh, first of all, hit that subscribe button. We'd love to have you be part of the Jimmys and the Joes. Two, drop what your uh, biggest storyline of Week 8 has been. We'd love to talk ball with you here in the live chat. If you're listening on the podcast the day after, later on this week, uh, we'd love to have you follow along on our social media at 3TechPod. You can get all of our uh, latest news, insights, tweets, uh, and obviously be part of the YouTube live show if you would like to as well. A huge shout out to our partners at the Transfer Portal, CFB, and homefieldapparel.com. Garrett, I don't know if you saw 
Homefield just dropped a mega collection of bomber jackets this uh, this past week. I believe it was 19 jackets in one single drop. Um, I tweeted it out, said, get your Christmas shopping done early. Put <laughs> put that on on cruise control, right? Just just buy buy your your friends uh, the best looking jackets on the market. You can use our code three tech pod for 15% off that entire order as well. Uh, I know you're really happy that you got a Utah Ute shirt right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, again, repping the Utah Ute stuff. We we put winners in the back. Uh, so we got Michigan back there right now, Tulane. Um, and then Baylor again coming up with a coming up with the dubs. So shout out them. Um, yeah, it just it's it's a fun week to have that home field merch. It's always a good week to have home field merch, but I mean you're right about those bomber jackets. It seemed like they had you said 19. It was like all of the Big Ten and all of what was formerly the Pac 12, and mm-hmm. I guess currently and is about to be formerly the Pac 12. But yeah, it's it's just pretty sick. I, I was looking at a couple of them, and uh yeah, it's gonna be a gonna be a good fall, good time to, you know, like you're saying, get your Christmas shopping in. Well, we've got our big three slate uh, to get through to start tonight's recap show. And, uh, of course, we, we in the preview outlined Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, we talked Alabama, Tennessee. We talked Florida State, Duke. Uh, Garrett, which which of those three games would you like to start with here tonight? Man, we got to start with Ohio State and Penn State. I mean, that was massive matchup to, I mean, really, really good teams coming into it. Two good defenses that we highlighted and, uh, and defenses sure won the day in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they absolutely did. Uh, James Franklin had a really interesting quote. He said when he got to the press conference, I'm not sure if we didn't just watch the two best teams in college football. James, I don't know what to tell you, but we weren't watching the same game, my guy. Uh, There's a chance was... we were watching one of them. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to yeah. count Ohio State out yet. They Not necessarily a great day offensively. But I'm not going to count them out right now. Um, but we, we were not watching one of the best teams wearing the white and blue today. That was not one of the best teams in the country. Listen, and and as a Penn State truther, right, I picked them to be my four seed, or actually I think they were the two seed in my playoffs, um, Big Ten champs. Um, they fell short today, 12 points. I know you're on the road. I know you're playing an improved Ohio State defense, but uh, this was this was as poor an offensive performance as you could ask for, and we'll, we'll get into that. First, though, we have to talk the winners here. Ohio State, uh, their defense has been what's held them back from a national championship really since 2015. Year two of Jim Knowles in the system, he's done an amazing job, and and they looked every bit uh, as elite as a defense needs to look to be a legitimate playoff contender, to go beat a Michigan, right? Uh, so give me your takeaways from, from Ohio State's defense. It looked like they kept Penn State completely off guard all day long. Oh, for sure. I, I love what Joe said in the chat before he had to take off. Silla Bullets defense is back, and then Drew Aller seeing ghosts. This really wraps up what a lot of it was. You know, it, it, it was just such a dominant performance from the Ohio State defense. T- to be fair, both defenses played really well. But when we came into this matchup, we said that there are two inexperienced quarterbacks that, you know, they haven't been starters, you know, before this year. And whoever made more plays was going to be the one that, that you know, came up on top. And that was definitely the case for Kyle McCord. Definitely made more plays uh, than Drew Aller did. And a lot of that had to do with how, I mean, ridiculous that pass rush was. For Ohio State, it seemed like they were getting on top of him every single play. It seemed like they had him scrambling, running from his life, collapsing the pocket. 
I mean, they freaking whooped them up front. <laughs> the Buckeyes, they they dominated up front. JT had another fantastic game. Um, and so, look, this is a really good defense. Now, you know, we could, you know, say maybe Penn State hasn't been as elite of an offense all year. You know, they looked good against nobody, but maybe this is them being exposed. I, I don't know what the truth will be. I'm still kind of waiting for Penn State to play another couple of good teams before I make that final judgment. But you got to tip your caps to Ohio State at this point. A, a fantastic defensive game. Um, they did a really good job sticking to the receivers, played good coverage, just didn't really give them anywhere to throw the ball. And, and yeah, Drew Aller just had a, a kind of bad day. I think, what, total stat line at the very end, 18 for 42, 191 and a touchdown. That, just, that ain't going to get it done. <laughs> ain't going to yeah. get it done. Four sacks, six tackles for loss on the day uh, for that Ohio State defense. Fantastic job, Buckeyes. Well done. Mm-hmm. Third down defense was elite. Um, they held Penn State to one of 16. That one third down conversion came actually when the game was was really over. Uh, it was 20 to six at that point. Penn State musters a late touchdown, but you know they, they didn't realistically have a chance to come back and win this game. And so for all intents and purposes, Ohio State's defense played just about as perfect of a game as you could possibly ask. Penn State didn't get the ball on the ground nearly enough. Catron Allen, it felt like early on, had some success. They stopped going to him. Uh, and so, you know, when when James Franklin says these are two of the best teams in college football, I think you have half of one of the best teams in college football in that defense. Yeah. The defense looked looked great. You do lose Chop Robinson. We don't know what the extent of that injury is going to be, but boy, that's that's a killer for Penn State. But the offense was dreadful. The offensive line got pushed around. Uh, you know, Drew Aller had little to no time to throw. And then, as we talked about, 18 of 42. That is just not going to get it done against a top three team, certainly not on the road. I just don't think Penn State was was ready when the lights shined, shined the brightest, right? Um, they're, they're simply not ready for the prime time. And that was kind of my biggest takeaway. I think for Ohio State, my takeaway is that defense is absolutely ready to compete for a national championship. For Penn State, the lights were too bright. Uh, this was not this was not a team that was was ready to come up and challenge the big boys, the Michigans, the Ohio States to win a Big Ten Conference championship. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a swing and a miss from me. Hate to see it because I truly did give James Franklin the ultimatum, right? If not yep. now, then win. Um, and, and I think well, we may be we may be asking win for for much, much longer. Franklin one in nine against Ohio State at Penn State. Um, it just seems like you, you he know they're the elite quarterback with experience, right? Like he had yeah. the experienced quarterback with Clifford for so long. Then he had, you know, the the you know, I think Aller will be a really, really good quarterback, but he just doesn't have the experience yet. And, and again, the, it you know, should it take that to overcome things? You don't think so, right? But for some reason, they just is it they don't have the guys out wide, they don't have the talent at the wide receiver core. I don't think so. I think they got good enough wide receivers. Um, but I mean, look, it, it's it didn't get it done today against the elite competition, right? And that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. Penn State wants to compete at the elite level. And if they can't compete there, they're not satisfied, right? They're not satisfied with saying go nine and three, ten and two, you know, beat the crap out of all the other teams in the Big Ten, then yeah. go lose to Ohio State and Michigan, and that's that. They're not satisfied with that. Penn State requires more. And, you know, maybe at some point in time this offense takes that step, but they're not there. 
They just aren't there. It's, it's not where Aller's development is right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I completely, I, I completely agree. Right now, um, I think the offense only has, you know, I think they can only go up from here. Uh, but boy, it feels like you're going to waste a, a really, really good defense. I mentioned the offensive line struggled, four sacks surrendered. They give up six tackles for loss as well. Um, just a quick update from our live chat. Um, Teddy, Teddy says not an overreaction, but Clemson is dead. Clemson did just lose in double yep. overtime. Uh, Miami gets their first ACC win at home under Mario Cristobal. Um, listen, when we previewed that game, none of us picked Miami. We were all out on the Canes, but I did take them to cover saying I, I figured that Miami's defense at home would be able to keep that close. In the end, it's it's ultimately what gets it done. And and we didn't even know this because Mario Cristobal kind of verbally assaulted reporters for insinuating that Tyler Van Dyke might not play. He didn't play. Emory Williams, the backup quarterback, played. He gets his first career start, his first career win. Uh, so the Canes pick up a very, very big win in the mm-hmm. ACC. For Clemson, man, I, the dynasty is over. Yeah, it's it's just about done. I like this question. Does Dabo's seat get a little hot after this loss? I think it's more than a little hot. It's it's starting to heat up pretty good for Dabo. And, you know, I think that has a lot to do with some of the rhetoric coming out, too, and some of the way that he's handled the program publicly, you know, and his comments about how, yeah. you know, maybe it's good for the bandwagon to die down a little bit. That's You can't say that. You, you just can't say that as a coach of the program. You know, face of the program, you can't do that. Um but look, don't take anything away from Miami. This is a the building Miami program that has struggled a little bit more than they were hoping to to get back to where they mm-hmm. want to be. I, I saw, you know, I funny enough, I think I bet the over and they hit it in overtime. But um, I bet the over in this, and then I saw the um, the the quarterback was out. I saw that Van Dyke wasn't playing. And I was like, well, great, yep. cash your under. But Miami fought back. There, I mean, a gutsy drive at the end of the game to to hit the field goal to tie it as well from this kid made a couple huge throws but there's a big you know jump ball completion there was a third and 13 that he completed on a kind of deep post coming over the middle and just a, a really gutsy performance uh from this Miami Hurricanes team and, and from the quarterback specifically coming in his first start so I mean shout out to you I'm, I'm not willing to say that they're back I mean it's it's one win Clemson's maybe yeah. not that good on offense but this is a huge step in the right direction from them if for nothing else but just public reasons yeah, congratulations, Cristobal. Almost two years in, you get off the schneid, win your first conference game at home. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the over-under was 47 in this one, so the two-point conversion barely cashed my over. Wow. Goodness. So shout-out to uh, me in the ledger. Way to go. Underbetters are absolutely sick right now. Uh, speaking speaking of a game where we were watching the over-under and over-betters got to rejoice, Garrett, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but we had a bounce-back <laughs> week in the ledger uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later on in the week. But Alabama knocks off Tennessee. Crimson Tide, 11th ranked in the country, coming in. Tennessee, number 17. They were off a win 
over Texas A&M at home. Tennessee jumped out to a big lead, 17 to seven, uh, punched punched Alabama in the mouth. I think it was 20 to seven at the break. And then Alabama scored 27 unanswered points and came back to win this game at home. For me, the storylines were twofold. Number one, once again, the moment you count Nick Saban out, whether it's in the media, whether it's in a game at halftime, he comes back and he crushes your soul. Uh, Secondly, for Tennessee, letting Alabama off the mat makes me believe that they are still at least a year or two away from even threatening the SEC East crown. React to to each of those. Which do you want to tackle first? Well, I mean, in terms of them being a year away or more, I think that's probably fair. Um, I I think what they had last year with Hennon Hooker, with Jalen Hyatt, with that whole crew was special. You know, and and you see that sometimes you get a, a new head coach with the right perfect mix of players, and it's special. Um, and and that, that can happen. I mean, think about Louisville with Lamar Jackson. Think about AM with Johnny Manziel. Right? You have that one quarterback who's just a little bit more special. You can do something really, really cool. But when that guy leaves and you don't have that next level talent, that next level playmaking, you start to say, okay, well, what can we really do? And I think it's time to. It's kind of batten down the hatches and say, we got to get serious because if you're Tennessee, you don't have that elite pass game that you were counting on. You've had to rush the ball a lot this year. You've been fairly effective. But, I mean, today, you look at the stats, it looks like they should have beat them, right? They outgained them in total yards, barely got outrushed. They were better in the pass game. So you look at some of these stats, they're better on third down. 8-18 to on third down. They they converted their thirds down, their third, third mm-hmm. downs at a good margin. But that 0 for 3 on fourth down, it's the situational stuff, right? It's just having that level of experience to know when you need the play, what you can do, you know, setting up better fourth downs so that you can convert those or, or just playing for the playing for the points sometimes, right? Just playing for the field position sometimes. I understand it, right? Sometimes stuff happens. You get in a weird game situation. But for me, that's really where this comes and breaks down is, Tennessee didn't play the good situational spots. They played great in the first half. They scored zero points in the second half. They didn't score yeah. a point in the second half. You can't yeah. do that against Alabama. I don't care how down they are. I don't care if, you know, we're, we're not convinced that Jalen Milrose is an elite passer, and I'm still not convinced he's an elite passer. He's not there. It doesn't matter if he's not that guy. You can't score zero points in Tuscaloosa and still expect to win. They've got some. They got some room to grow. They got some room to to make some improvements. And I think without some massive influx of transfer portal talent, which of course could happen, it, it's still a little further away than Tennessee fans probably want it to be. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is a big takeaway from this. Is kind of a gut check time, right? Like you go up uh, big over your rival on the road. Now that's much harder than holding the lead at home. I'll give you that, but. To, to come out, lay an egg, you know, the defense looked looked completely flat coming out of halftime. They allow a big uh, touchdown pass right out of the break. Alabama immediately gets the counter punch uh, after sucking on the orange slices, right? And it, it felt like the, the tide were, were off and running uh, from that point. Now, to Tennessee's credit, they got Squirrel, Squirrel White going this week, uh, 111 yards receiving on 10 catches, a mm-hmm. touchdown. I pointed him out. He had to be an X factor for Tennessee to even have a chance in this game. They had more than a chance. They could have won this game outright. They could have knocked off the tide, beaten their rival on the third Saturday in October, two years running. But Josh Heupel in that offense, again, 
they prove that that time and time again, if you can get to the quarterback, if you can take away what their simple bread and butter is, then he doesn't really have an answer. And yeah. Joe Milton did not have necessarily a bad game, although the the sack, the fumble, the scoop and score at the end was the nail in the coffin. But Joe Milton to me just isn't the difference maker, the X factor that certainly a quarterback at, at, at a top 15, a top 10 level has to be. And if you're going to beat your rival on the road, you have to bring some of those X factor qualities uh, to the game. Last thing on Alabama for me, look, big win, gut check time. You came in and, and took this one away. The offensive line still has so many issues, though. You yeah. give up four sacks, um, several more tackles for loss. The first half, they got bullied. And we're just so not used to seeing that on a regular basis from Alabama. But, you know, credit to the Tide. They, they kind of lose the first half. They've lost the first half somewhat regularly this season. But other than Texas game, they come out, they adjust, they win the second half, they win the game. With that in mind, is Alabama a legitimate playoff contender based on what you've seen on the field? In terms of making the playoff, yes. In terms of doing anything in the playoff, I'm going to say no, specifically because of what you just pointed out, the offensive line. I don't think there's a team in the SEC West that can take advantage of that. I don't think that there's a team left on the schedule or not that can take advantage of how bad that offensive line has played. LSU doesn't have a defense, right? I mean, they shut out Army, congrats. But, you know, they don't have much of a defense to, to you know, show for. If they start playing better all of a sudden, maybe that changes. But – when you break down what their offensive line looks like, when you break down some of the weaknesses, I just don't think that they can go the distance. They could certainly beat Georgia if Georgia's offense doesn't get rolling, right? This could be like a defensive slugfest, and that could be a low-scoring SEC championship game. And so they could make the playoff, but I don't think if they were to go up against a, you know, Ohio State, a Michigan, a, you know, even what we saw out of Florida State at the end of the game, you know, tonight – if they go up against any of those teams with some of those high-powered defenses that, that can really get after the quarterback, that can really make life a nightmare, I just I don't think that they're going to be able to move the ball against any of those teams. Right? There's probably mm-hmm. you know another team that I'm missing somewhere in there. Then you know Washington maybe the, not maybe the most elite defense. If Oregon makes it, I think Oregon's got a better defense overall. But there's still just some teams across the country I don't think Alabama can score against and. That's ultimately what's going to hold them back. I think that they don't have a good enough quarterback to overcome the poor offensive line play. And so unless things get better, it's it's going to be problems in, in T-Town. I cannot wait to see how Alabama ultimately uh, rides to the end of the season. It feels like they're on the precipice, man. It feels like there's a chance that they can do something kind of great, write a cool story here. Yeah. Uh, they were counted out. Nick Saban gets the ultimate last laugh um, by, you know, by proving everybody wrong. At the same time, boy, this team has some flaws. And mm-hmm. I feel like to win at the top level, you got to have those flaws ironed out. Well, I don't know if Alabama has that right now. Let's go back to the very beginning of the season with Alabama. If you go back to the beginning of the season and you look at how they lost the Texas game and you look at how they struggled against you know South Florida and how some of these games really didn't go their way, I think you have to credit, and again, this isn't a shocking thing, but credit Nick Saban for sticking with the team and, and proving once again that he can make something good out of his team. He's taken Milrow leaps and bounds 
from where he was beginning of the season. Milrow is mm-hmm. still not elite. He's still not Tua. He's still not Bryce. He's still not any of those guys. But he's made massive strides. They have a receiver in Jermaine Burton who can finally play. They, they've got a, a running game that's more established with Jace McClellan. And, you know, that's that's really, really good. Is he going to fix the offensive line? Maybe. He could do that by the end of the season. You give him a couple more weeks to, you know, figure some stuff out, spend a little bit more time with the unit. You could figure some stuff out and, and watch this Bama team hit their stride into the season, week 10, week 11, you know, start playing that elite level of Alabama football that we're used to. And then we're all just sitting here like, why did I doubt Nick Saban? Why did I doubt yeah. that this guy was going to do it again? And I was such an idiot for doubting Nick Saban was going to be able to do this again. It, it's on the table. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. All right, well, let's move over to uh, your darling from last year. Uh, the Duke Blue Devils, boy, it fell apart late. Um, they they were in this game for quite a bit of time, but ultimately fall to the fourth-ranked Florida State Seminoles, 38-20. Uh, offense, not the issue for Florida State. Offense was the issue for Duke. Uh, you were locked in on this game. What did you see as Riley Leonard made a surprise start, kept them in it for for quite a while, but uh, ultimately felt kind of like once once he went out of the game, re-injuring that ankle, the air came out of the Duke balloon. Yeah, when when Riley Leonard went down there, that was I think late in the third quarter. I, it was a gut punch to that Duke offense. They and, and to be clear, he tried to come back into that game. They showed mm-hmm. on the on the play uh, or on the broadcast, they showed that he was like trying to argue with Elko to come back in, and Elko was just like, "We're not losing you for the season." Like, if we have to lose this game, that's fine. We're not losing you for the season. Um, and, and I, I kind of respect that. I mean, you know, what is Riley Leonard going to do with the hobbled ankle? The pass game, as you can see, wasn't really a factor in this one for Duke. Um, 76 yards for the whole game. Um, but, man, they were really able to rush. Uh, Riley Leonard was pretty prolific with his legs when he was in there. Um, and, and the whole offense was so much better when you were running that, you know, that, you know, RPO and kind of able to – put the Florida State, you know, defense off balance when they lost that. And, you know, Florida State was able to just key in, play man coverage on the outside and just key in on the run and say, we're we're going to do what we want to do. That was kind of all she wrote. I think I saw at the end of the fourth quarter, right before Duke got the ball back when they went down 18, they said something like uh, Florida State has had 162 yards in the fourth quarter and Duke's got three. I mean, that was, that's I mean, what are you supposed to do, right? And I get yeah. going for it because, I mean, they get, they went for it on that fourth down after he went out. You kind of have to because I, you know, I sat there thinking at the time, this might be the best chance you have to score the rest of the game. And sure enough, that's what happened. But you got to give loads of credit to Florida State for buckling up, just continuing to play in this game. Jordan Travis had some huge plays with his legs in the fourth quarter, extending drives, you know, finding some weaknesses. He, he I mean, obviously got his through the air, but – really, really impressed me on the ground towards the end of this game. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were a couple on that last drive where they just started to wear down the Duke defense. That Duke defense looked gassed at the end of the fourth quarter. And, and you know, it as a, you know, kind of a, a soft Duke fan, I'm not necessarily a Duke fan, but follow the team, like the team. It just it had me so disheartened. felt like, again, a gut punch because you just think, man, if Riley Leonard had finished that game, they may not have won but it would have been so much more competitive on that last little bit. Um, and, and I think that they would have played a lot better. So hats off to Florida state. You made a huge statement, um, but man, you just feel like something could have been there for Duke. It, it certainly felt like, especially the way that game started, it mm-hmm. felt like, here we go. Florida state, you know, Kirk Herbstreit was talking about it. Uh, 
Jaquez Moore has that 42-yard touchdown run at the very beginning of the game. Herb Street's pointing out, hey, Florida State secondary members are not hustling. They are not covering sideline to sideline to prevent that touchdown from happening. It felt like the Knolls came out flat, and Duke did everything they could to take advantage of it, uh, but ultimately just just wasn't quite enough. So yeah. on the flip side of the coin, I still don't really know what to think about Florida State. Uh, so many they, they like so many teams this season. Maybe get off to a slow start. Don't look physical at times. Turn the football over. And then they can turn it on when they really absolutely have to, when they're threatened at the half, when they're down early in the third quarter. What do we know about Florida State after this win over Duke? Well, I mean, the first thing we know is they can continue to impose their will through the game, right? They're not they're not going to come out super, super sharp, but they will be able to impose their will and eventually get the result they want. That's what they did in this game. They kept grinding. They kept grinding. And eventually, by the time we got to the end, um, you know, they, they got the result they wanted. But you can look on the stat sheet to the side. Seven for 12 on third downs is extremely efficient. And this is against a really, really good Duke defense. I mean, this is a solid Duke defense. Mike Elko, a defensive minor head coach. And so to have that kind of success, whereas, you know, in previous weeks, Duke had, you know, you had the Notre Dame game where Notre Dame didn't exactly light the world on fire offensively. Um, you know, they they played against Clemson earlier in the year. Clemson couldn't score very well on them. Um, they played, you know, a lot of different games these last couple of weeks where, I mean, they, they were able to shut it down on defense. And Florida State did what they needed to. So this is a good balanced Florida State offense, but I think they play the best when Jordan Travis is doing his thing, right? When Jordan Travis is, you know, outside the pocket, when Jordan Travis is able to kind of make the read, figure out, am I going to go? Am I going to take off? You know, where's Coleman? Can I hit him down the field? There's so many huge plays down the field from Travis. So when Travis is on and he gets in his rhythm, it almost feels like he's unstoppable. So being able to get him in a rhythm, being able to get him established early is going to have to be the formula for them going forward. And I just think that focus, that four quarters focus, being able to, I'm going to come out in the first quarter, we're going to get it established. I'm going to come out in the second quarter, we're going to keep it rolling, we're going to put our foot on their neck, we're going to keep going. I think that's what Florida State needs. Will they be able to put that together against a quality team? I don't know. I don't know that they can put that together against a quality team. They can. I don't know that they will. Right. And so, you're in the driver's seat right now in the ACC. It's a clear shot to a playoff if you just take care of your business. But what yeah. happens when you go against Michigan, Washington, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, whoever it is that you get in that in that first round? What happens when you come out flat and they're up 10-0, 14-0 on you, and then you've got to come back against a better quality team who is, you know, and not to shade Duke at all, but a team that can throw the football more effectively, a team that has a more balanced offense than just saying, give it to Riley Leonard and let him do what he needs to do, right? But yeah. when you have a team like that, I don't know what they're going to be able to accomplish. I agree. I agree. Um, all right, so we've got a new segment, and and I want to throw this to you. Should we should we get to the new segment right away? Should we do rounding out the top 25? What, what are you feeling? I kind of like the new segment. I think we should, we should lead right. off with that. It's kind of fun. All right, well, then in that case... Garrett, YouTube chat, those who are listening on the podcast, America, I would like to welcome you to Ref Mageddon. First installment and in what will become a weekly uh, weekly part of this show, the live show where we talk about kind of the, the most game-altering plays that we see from the Stripes on a week-in, week-out basis. It's a safe space. 
you know, listen, nobody wants to be the guy in the chat on Twitter, uh, in, in the group text, who's always complaining about the refs. Cause listen, we know they're bad. Uh, they make mistakes every single week, but this is a safe space to specifically identify, okay, Hey, did we screw something up? Did we change <laughs> the outcome of a game? Uh, and let's start with, I, we got to start with number 24, Iowa losing to Minnesota. They lose the Floyd of Rosedale. Now this one, I've seen a lot of back and forth on Twitter. Some saying it was the right call. Some saying it was the wrong call, but to set the scene, Cooper DeGene, one of the best special teamers in all the country, also a great uh, defensive back for Iowa, returns a punt for a touchdown inside a minute and a half. Iowa's got no offense. It would have given them a 17-12 win over Minnesota, but the referees, upon further review, call it back, saying DeGene waved his hand, signaling for a fair catch, thus negating the return. In reality, DeGene was... Uh, waving off his teammates on a short mm-hmm. punt, making sure they got away from it. So, Garrett, I ask you, when you watch this replay, and we had a number of angles from it, uh, what do you think? Fair catch? Is it a is it a correct ruling by the official based on the hand signals, or is this something where we apply a little bit of common sense? That man, I got to tell you what, this play made me sick. I mean, because yeah. I, I, I hear about it and everyone's freaking out. Oh, my gosh. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, what a terrible way to lose, right? And, and man, the, the one thing for me to actually analyze this one is what happened when he waves everything off? Does everyone pull up like, oh, he called for a fair catch? Or, no. They don't pull up. Everybody no. reacted as if he was supposed to be returning the kick. Like, everyone was still in pursuit trying to make the play. So nobody on the field thought that was a fair catch, except for the official who blew that one. So, it, mm-hmm. man, just made me sick. And they, they didn't, you know, they didn't pull off. It wasn't like, you know, a bunch of the players look around like, what, I thought he did a fair catch. Nobody did that. No. So, just, I mean, makes me sick. It still wouldn't have hit the over, just to be clear. That's, again, disgusting display, not hitting the over. But you can't do that. You can't let that happen at the very, very end. When the kid returns the kick like that, you just can't. You can't take that back. You got to get out of the way, officials. To to make things worse, I don't think that's what they were reviewing uh, when they sent that up to the booth. I believe they were re- reviewing to see if DeGene stepped out of bounds. Right, because he was right the there on right the sideline, side, yeah. made a spin move. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an impossible tightrope. Um just a gut punch for uh, for Iowa. And listen, you know, the Big Ten officials had a rough day today. I think the SEC officials, I mean, talk about an evergreen tweet. Hey, they got the a SEC tough week officials, every week. Whew, uh, they had some some terrible calls. But for our second edition of Ref Mageddon, I think we have to go to the Lone Star State, Houston and Texas. And I know we have some Texas fans that listen, so they're probably not going to be thrilled with this. Um, I think the refs screwed Houston away from a chance to tie this football game up. I take you to just under a minute and a half left. Houston, third and two, I believe, was the yardage. Runs a ball up the middle. Very clear that the ball carrier gets two, if not past the nine-yard line where the first down marker is. Instead, he gets driven back after crossing that plane by a Texas defender. The referee marks the ball where he was driven back to. No review happens. Nothing to 
uh, ease the angst from Dana Holgerson, who's literally on all fours on the sideline. Houston has to run a play on fourth and inches. They run, you know, a misdirection pass out to the right that, of course, right. doesn't work. Uh, and Houston loses the football game. This one, I think, is totally up to judgment. They We never saw a, a shot right down the line, but Garrett, to not go to review in what was clearly a game-altering play, to me, a little bit of ref malpractice. For sure. And I think this is where, and this might just be my hot take, I don't understand the point of a, a booth review. Just give the coach the challenge flag, let him challenge at any point in time, and if he loses it, he loses it. I don't get why it's, Oh, well, under two minutes, it's always going to be yeah. the ref review. Well, because then the refs get to control the end of the game. Because maybe you Agreed. review, maybe you can throw the challenge flag on a, I thought his foot was in in the third quarter. Should have been a catch, right? Something like that. But when it matters the most at the end of the game, you don't get the chance to review it yourself. You don't get the chance to say, wait, let me fight for my guys. I think I saw something that you guys didn't see. That It just, it bums me out every time you see something like this happen because you know that the coach couldn't have done anything about it. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> look, it's it's not to take away anything from Texas in this one. They played real gutsy. I mean, obviously Quinn leaving with the injury and then, you know, Murphy coming in to kind of bounce back. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, not necessarily even good, but played well enough to continue to win. Um, that, that's what you got to do. You got to win um, in these spots. When you lose your quarterback, you got to find a way to, you know, next man up, just have that mentality. So, you know, hats off to them. But man, you just, you got to let the players play at a certain point and, and you have to be able to go to review with a play that close. Boy, you're preaching to the choir there. Um, you mentioned Quinn Ewers goes out for Texas. The Longhorns were up 21 to nothing. Uh, I left, we were at an event this afternoon. I left that event thinking that game is done and dusted. Instead, Houston roars back. They tie it up. Uh, they ultimately do fall 31-24, as I mentioned, a very what felt like great chance uh, to tie that football game up. Uh, one stat from the Iowa game, really not much to recount there, but the, the best stat of the day from this Iowa game, Iowa had two yards punting the entire second half. They had 234 yards of punting yardage in the second half. Yeah, two Just total a, yards, right? Yes. yes two, two total yards in the second half? Two That's total. disgusting. Yeah, That's just a masterclass from Brian Ferentz, who's now almost just, 50 points under the quota, by the way. Just fire him. Get him out of there. Iowa deserves so much better. Like, I understand there's the family dynamic, and that makes it difficult, but get him out of there, man. Like, if if you had a halfway decent Iowa offensive coordinator who could just put up, I don't know, 20, 25 points a game, something like that, Iowa would be such a fun team. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Uh, someone, uh, it might have been, uh, I can't remember if it was CFB Talk or whoever it was, tweeted out Penn State is just Iowa East. Um, that really kind of hit home, especially in the afternoon when Iowa, all they needed to do was score 13 points to win. Again, the defense, just elite. The offense, beyond abysmal. Um, so there you go. Ref Mageddon, first in, in installation. Tweet us if you if you find Ref Mageddon, uh, worthy clips anytime a referee you know basically determines the outcome of game we want to know about it we want to hear about it we'll shout you out if you tweet that at us um all right let's round out the top 25 here and uh just some some breaking news garrett as uh, as we're recording this 
uh, what is it, eleven fourteen p.m. Mm-hmm. Central Time. So we've got Pac-12 after dark going on. Um, one in five Arizona State has just taken a seven three lead to the locker room over number five Washington. Um, just a quick, quick gut reaction on that. That uh, that's not good. This is that landmine tweet that we keep sending out on the Twitter. It's Washington, you're in trouble. Like, look, I get it, but you're at home. And, you know, this. maybe it's just because they're coming off of a really emotional week against Oregon and they just came out flat thinking that we can do this, no problem. But And and because Oregon kind of came out the same way today, too, where they came out a little slow and a little slumpy and they didn't really look that good. Um, against lesser competition, but Oregon took care of their business. I'm, you know, looking for a Washington uh, bounce back here. I'll be watching that while we edit this at the very end. So I'm going to be watching for Washington to bounce back. Could be some uh, interesting stuff to react to in the morning. I think there very well might be. Um, you know, we'll <laughs> see. Michael Penix Jr. looks looks off. The offense just looks out of rhythm. Um, I did just send out that tweet at Three Tech Pod. Uh, Washington is officially on landmine notice. Uh, but let's go up and down the top 25 here. Um, and, you know, certainly not going to talk in depth about uh, all of these games. Number two, Michigan. Listen, 49 nothing over Sparty, Michigan State. Uh, chat, chat making a case for Michigan to be the top team. Again, I don't really know that anything changes. It's kind of the same song, different verse, right? They take care of a bad opponent. Uh, maybe the funniest stat that comes out of this is that uh, Michigan State had more Hitler pictures on their scoreboard than points. Um, if you didn't hear about that, uh, whatever Michigan State uses for in-game entertainment, they put Hitler up as uh, the answer to a trivia question, which would seem to be like a pretty big no-no. Um, and I'm pretty sure somebody got fired there. In today's day and age, when we have immediate access to the internet and you can take a quick pick and then just yep. send it, what are we doing? Putting up a picture really? of Hitler on the jumbo board. What is happening? But I do want to make one point on Michigan. Michigan is one of the more balanced teams that we've seen all year. They, they do an incredible job. I'm going to pull one quick stat from Teddy on this. Outscored their opponents 107-0 to in the third quarter so far this season. But I just want to read some of the final results, and I don't care that they ain't played nobody, Paul. I just want to read some of the final results in these games and ask you if this stacks up against everybody else's don't play nobody. Okay, 30 to 3, 35-7, 31-6, 31-7, 45-7, 52-10, 52-7, 49-0. Those are your final scores for the Michigan Wolverines so far this season. If anybody else in the country was doing this against anybody else, if it was Georgia, mm-hmm. if it was Bama, we wouldn't care that they didn't play nobody. And right. so I kind of agree with the take. I've been, you know, kind of stomping my foot for this for the last couple of weeks. I think Michigan's the best team in the country right now. I think Georgia's got too many flaws. You know, obviously the AP works different, right? You're going to have to do a little bit more to prove it for the AP. And so they're not going to get the love until they maybe beat Penn State, right? That might put them over the top and, and do yeah. that. But – Michigan is the best team in the country right now. They have a, you know, elite defense. They play amazing defense across the board. They're great in coverage. They're great at rushing the passer. They tackle well. It's a great defense. They they run the ball effectively. Blake Corum still hasn't really even had a massive breakout game. I think his best single game number right now is 101. <laughs> so hasn't even had like a massive breakout yet. But, I mean, look, this is still a really solid, you know, Michigan team there. 
They're throwing the ball well. I think Roman Wilson has been a, a breakout for them this year and kind of a revelation at wide receiver. Um, and, and I think they're really, really good, man. We're going to be looking back up at the end of the season talking about the Michigan Wolverines and how they surprise us. How are they here again? Well, they're just doing what they've been doing the last couple of years, quietly beating teams into submission and, and winning football games until it's the last game of the season. And then, you know, they show everybody once again that they're Michigan and they're going to go beat up on some people. And then they make the playoff once again. So you know, it's it, for a couple of years. I, I think the only re- way that changes, though, is if Michigan has success in the playoff, right? Yeah, like, and, probably. And, and we don't know if Jim Harbaugh is going to stay at Michigan after this year. You know, there's there's a very popular kind of sentiment that hey, Michigan could win it all this year and give Jim Harbaugh the easiest exit stage right, um, you know, of all time. So very very right. curious to see. What happens with the Wolverines? I I am inclined to agree with you, though. I think Michigan, the consistency, the fact that they really haven't had an off week, maybe they had a slow start here and there, but uh, the complete package of what they're doing yeah. is certainly more impressive to me than than what we've seen from Georgia. And looking at looking forward on their schedule, they've got the bye week now, which is I mean the perfect time to just rest up, get healthy. You play Purdue at home. You go to Penn State. You go to Maryland, and then you play Ohio State. Michigan, there's probably a lot of people that haven't watched a Michigan game this year because they hadn't really played anybody. Yeah. That's going to change in the next you know month when all we're talking about is Michigan in the limelight. So sure. shout out Wolverines. It's going to be your time. Put up or shut up. You know, it's, it's time to make a statement. Um, elsewhere, we've got number nine, Oregon, 38-24 victory over Washington State. Uh, Bucky Irving, Jordan James, had great games here. Irving went uh, for 129 yards, two touchdowns, also had a receiving touchdown. Um, and uh, Bo Nix throws for nearly 300 yards. Cam Ward throwing through the air wasn't the issue. 438 yards through the air and a touchdown. But Washington State, once again, not able to move the football on the ground. It's a good bounce-back win. Uh, for the Oregon Ducks after last week. Um, We talked about Florida State earlier, and they are the lone contender in the ACC now because Garrett, Virginia, 1-5 Virginia, knocks off North Carolina, top 10 team. North Carolina has one of these dumb losses every single year, but I will say for Virginia to get a big win, for Tony Elliott, for everything that program has gone through, I could not have been rooting any harder for Virginia at the end of that game. Oh, for sure. It's a, a great feel good story. You got to love, you know, you know, obviously with the drama last year at the end of the year um, and, and kind of how heartbreaking that was to be able to start this year and just play football, I think was huge. And, you know, they come back, they bounce back, having a tough year, man, just not, not having a lot of success this year for Virginia, but to be able to go in there, you know, you, you beat North Carolina, that's that's big. I love that. I love that for them. Was rooting for them. Thought they were going to blow it there at the end. They, sure. they, they had that situation at the end where I, I really felt like they could have just kept the ball uh, just rolling and, and, and didn't think they were creative enough in their last possession to, you know, kind of convert the third down. Thought they could have kept the ball rolling, uh, keep North Carolina on their heels. But they ended up giving the ball back and Drake May, you know, they, they got to him at the very end, forced a bad throw and it gets picked. So. That's all she wrote. Uh, for Virginia, and I've got some breaking news here in just a second. We'll get to there in uh, in a moment. For Virginia, it's the first top 10 win 
uh, since 2005, first win over a top 10 opponent. It is the first top 10 win on the road in program history. So I know things have gone just wow. as sideways as possible for, for, for Virginia, but for Tony Elliott to get this win tonight to essentially wreck North Carolina's playoff hopes, um, just an incredible job. And they did it on the road, uh, even harder than doing it at home. Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, well. I guess let, let's mention number thirteen, Ole Miss. They they beat Auburn twenty eight twenty one. This was kind of an ugly game. It was all on the ground. Nobody really had any success uh, through the air. Once again, Auburn's defense does a great job in the first half. They keep it close. It's fourteen fourteen all at the half, and then just no offense, no ability to move the the, the chains consistently. Ole Miss gets the win twenty eight twenty four. But, Garrett, as we talk about what was a classic tonight in Utah and USC, breaking news coming out of Mm -hmm. the Utes camp, Cam Rising is officially shut down for the season. He came back, uh, made that whole announcement video. It was supposed to be a massive deal for Utah's playing hopes, and uh, he won't even suit up to play a single down this year. Yeah, it's it's. That's pretty devastating to the Utes. Uh, they're a much better team when he's in there and when he's playing. And man, I when I was coming into the show, maybe about you know 15 minutes before we hit you know go live, I was ready to talk about you know I don't think Cam Rising loses this game against USC. I think if it's Cam Rising, they probably come out on top. And I was ready to talk about that. But let me tell you what, man, Utah for as bad as they've been offensively this year, they might have found something tonight against USC. Um, sure. They had a gutsy performance. And let me tell you, I was absolutely locked in on this game. Um, Bryson Barnes was all hard tonight, outplayed Caleb Williams, which probably tells you more about the two defenses on the field than it does about the two offenses. But Bryson Barnes outplayed uh, Caleb Williams. It, it, a fantastic effort. There were two long runs on that last drive, one on like third and – or it might have been second in a mile – where he, you know, gets up there, lowers his shoulder, you know, puts the boom on a safety. Safety had to kind of hobble off the field. He popped right back up and just I mean, he looked a little worse for the wear, but he popped back up and was ready to go. And then on on a, you know, I think it was even a third down, hits the corner, keeps running. It looked like he should have ran out of bounds to keep the clock going, yeah. but just cut up field. Let's go. I'm I'm gonna win this game. He knew they had two timeouts, so they were set. Um and yeah, he he I mean, flat out outplayed, threw for three touchdowns in this game, um, flat out outplayed Caleb Williams, and want to give a shout out, Sione Vaki, two-way player here, plays safety normally, played a little bit of running back, a little bit of receiver in this game, caught two huge touchdowns. One was just kind of a catch and run down the sideline. He caught it over the middle, hits the sideline, outran everybody. And that second touchdown, man, had me... I mean, going crazy, catches a little in route, and then he's, you know, all the way covered. He's about to get tackled, snatched the ankles, went right back the other way, and sent the DB, I mean, screaming the other direction, and and ends up running that one in for the score. Huge night for him. I think he ended up with, like, over 100 yards receiving in this game. So love that out of Sione Vaki. Talk a lot about Travis Hunter playing both ways at Colorado. Not talking a lot about Sione Vaki playing both ways. So, Good for him. Awesome for that young man. This Utah defense was relentless all night. Massive game. Dramatic finish in, in you know, L.A. tonight with Utah yep. ultimately coming out on top. And, you know, I was repping at the beginning of the show. Go Utes. Love the Utes right now. You know, all heart. Huge win. 
Um, and if they can play like that, if, if, if Bryson Barnes can play like that for the rest of this season, Utah could be, you know, coming out on top of this by the end of the end of the season. Well, I mean, it was the age old question. Did, did you leave too much time, right? USC drives the field. They score a touchdown. Initially, uh, two, two possessions previous, they had settled for a field goal to make it 31, 26, uh, Lincoln Riley, literally rolling the dice once again with Alex Grinch hoping the defense could get a stop. They did. It finally paid off. It felt like the Trojans had the complete game plan, right? They were down early. They come back. It's going to be this storybook ending. But Caleb Williams doesn't throw for a touchdown. He doesn't doesn't turn it over, but he just won an X factor tonight. 256 yards, that was it. Uh, And then truly, USC did leave too much time on that drive. Maybe the turning point, though, was a – targeting penalty by bear alexander um just an unnecessary uh launch and it extends utah's drive and then as you mentioned bryson barnes has his his hero moment uh, to knock off usc utah has now beaten the trojans in their last four matchups they've eliminated the trojans from any sort of national championship contention in the mm-hmm. last two years um that is officially two of my playoff picks that are gone and down the drain. And I tell you what, I couldn't be, couldn't be happier. Um, Utah oh, yeah. is that the, the little engine that could, every time you count them out, they find a new way to scrap, to win, to claw back. Um, truly an incredible win uh, for the Utah Utes. Well, and they were again on the road. The the crowd was going crazy. And, and that last, you know, end of the game, Zachariah branch, they don't even drive the field. Zachariah branch has a massive punt return where he just scorches yeah. people if it wasn't for, I can't remember who it was that tracked him down, but somebody goes track him down, you know, barely gets him at the, I think the 17, Caleb Williams rushes the ball in. And at that point you're saying, oh, well, you know, that's okay. It took the, took the wind out of your sails, you know, Bryson Barnes, he's you know been okay, but you know, maybe a little hobbled, a little shaken up. I don't think he's going to be able to come back on this one. And man, just the, like I said earlier, all heart out of Bryson Barnes on this one. Um, just, he just wanted it more than anybody else on the field. Nobody wanted to win that game more than Bryson Barnes did, and he got what he wanted. So congrats to Utah. Massive, massive win. Couldn't be happier, you know, for my, my kind of adopted, you know, team here, the Utah Utes. Got, got to love it. Just got to love it. Two straight losses for USC. Caleb Williams has done a lot of talking in the media, Garrett, about things not pertaining to USC Trojan football on the field. Um, listen, on this show, we're all for confidence. But boy, when it borders on arrogance and suddenly you're talking about minority ownership of the NFL team that drafts you, um, we start to root against you a little bit. I've got two questions. My first question is a little tongue in cheek. Are we sure that Utah doesn't have my own uh, minority ownership over Caleb Williams? Because he's gotten destroyed by the Utes every time he's played him so far. Um, but my real question, do you think that Caleb Williams just kind of checked out? Like he knows he's the number one pick basically for all intents and purposes drake may could come for that but i think he knows he's the number one pick is he just checked out like there's nothing he's going to do left in college that's going to matter as much as his contract that he's about to get with the bears so like uh, is he checked out to me he looks checked out he looks just like he's, he doesn't care i don't know that i'd go that far i think he needs to learn um i think he needs to learn how to deal with the media i think his team uh, I know it's uh, his his team is led by his dad. Um, you know, the athletic has had done an interview with uh, 
with his dad, even going back to before Caleb committed to Oklahoma. Um, and it's kind of a LeVar Ball situation a little bit. His dad is very outspoken, um, you know, definitely has kind of like the roadmap for his son. Hey, here's what we're going to do to succeed. So I do worry a little bit about that. I don't know that I'd say that Caleb's checked out, but he he certainly needs uh, to, to get refocused. Um, because, listen, playoff-wise, season's over. You can still find a way to make it into the Pac-12 championship game. And if that doesn't motivate you to play your best – to give your all every single week to, you know, move towards being maybe the first draft pick in the NFL, um, you know, then then you're going to expose yourself to a lot of franchises because ultimately at the yeah. end of the day, an NFL franchise needs a competitor. They need a dog that's going to lead their team. If you can't come out and do that for for your team here at USC while, with the time that you have remaining, to me that says a whole lot about how he would play at the next level in an NFL yeah. locker room. Uh, which is which is not exciting. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes on USC. Yeah. Um, very very interesting, but boy, disappointing. They still got loss a D five team to lose to in the Cotton Bowl. So I don't know who. I don't know if it's going to be Liberty this time or if Tulane's going to get back. Come on but, down. Yeah, let's let's go <laughs> let's go beat USC in the Cotton Bowl again or something. That's right. Speaking of Air Force, number twenty two Air Force knocks off Navy seventeen to six. It's their first seven and zero start since the mid nineties. Uh, they have also beaten Navy each of the last four years. Number 19, LSU, drubs Army 62 to nothing. The offense for the Tigers is not the issue at all. It's been the defense, not uh, not a concern tonight against the Service Academy. Uh, number 22, Missouri, blasts South Carolina 34-12. Cody Schrader emerges as a big threat for Missouri today, runs for over 150 yards. Garrett, I feel so bad for Spencer Rattler. Um, listen, he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I get that. But, boy, when it comes to competing on the field, the dude doesn't have a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, the offensive line gives up six sacks, eight more tackles for loss. The, the Gamecocks are building this prog program the wrong way, right? So for immediate yeah. success, and I know long-term they're probably building it the right way, but for immediate success – for all those people that said the Gamecocks were going to win 10 games this year, same people to me that were saying Colorado was going to win 10 games. If you don't have the trenches in place, if you can't rely on your offensive and defensive line, uh, you're just not going to win at the highest level in today's football. Yeah, it was just all hype and all storyline on these. And it's a fun story because, you know, the media loves Shane Beamer. He's fun. He says crazy stuff. He makes fun, you know, music videos on Twitter and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's a fun story, right? But it, it's again like you're saying it's not building the right way for right now um when you don't have a solid offensive line what was it six sacks that's yeah you're not gonna win with six sacks it, you just can't do that um and so you know do you feel bad for spencer rattler yeah kind of um you know it's it's not a great situation he's in but you know that's where he is right now so that's that but i think this is a lot more about missouri just being really really good i think missouri's a really good football team this year um luther burden mossing two defenders for the first touchdown in that game was massive highlight reel material and you know it's 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 a fun team to watch there missouri's gonna be really really good um i am really 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 excited to watch this mizzou georgia game here at the end of the season because sure they almost got them last year whatever they saw you know whatever their coaching staff saw whatever they knew about georgia last year they figured something out uh, they've got that you know hopefully still figured out and with a much better team, I think this year, and a team that's playing a lot better together, right? They're they're playing a lot better. They know their roles. They know what they're supposed to do, and they're they're kind of assuming those roles. 
man, I think there's a chance Missouri could knock off Georgia, you know, towards the end of the season. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Hey, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, wrapping up the top 25, Tulane hangs on to beat North Texas. They had to really hold off a charge from the mean green, uh, but Tulane does maintain that inside track to the American Championship game. SMU also wins. I believe they won on Thursday night, either Thursday or Friday yeah. night. Uh, they're 3-0 in conference as well, so it seems like we're on a collision course to the Green Wave and the uh, the Mustangs to play each other in that, in that game. Uh, elsewhere around the country, uh, Garrett, we got to take a second to celebrate bowl eligibility for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The first time since 2014 that Rutgers will go to the postseason. Great job by Greg Schiano and staff. They have truly rebuilt this team and now 6-2. and two. Rutgers can keep their eyes forward on the postseason. The question, though, do they get another win? Their four remaining games versus number three, Ohio State, at what will be an unranked Iowa team, at what will be a top 15 Penn State team, and then home against Maryland. That is as tough a slate down the stretch as you could ask for. Does Rutgers find another win or are we going to be happy with six and six and bowl eligibility? I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think they're going to beat Iowa. Iowa can't score points, man. They just can't score okay. points. And and I hate it because I picked Iowa as a darling at the beginning of the season. They just cannot score points, man. They just can't yep. do it. Um, and, and look, Rutgers, I, I don't think they're going to have loads of success against Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense is going to stand up and play good. But I think that they'll, you know, they have that big play threat. It, it feels like they can hit a big play. They can hit a long run. And they can kind of accomplish what they need to. Um, and, and I think that Rutgers can win that one. If they don't win that one, I don't think they win any of the other three. They're not going to beat Ohio State. They're not going to beat uh, Penn State. And I, I don't think they beat Maryland. That doesn't sound like one that I'd pick them in right now. So seven and five, I think, is on the table. And I think that's a huge one. And for everybody who is out there, I saw a couple of people on Twitter like, well, they haven't played anybody yet. Rutgers would have lost to all those teams a couple of years ago. Yeah, like that had like one or two wins on the schedule so far against all those teams. I don't want to hear that. Okay, this yeah. is a rebuilt, retooled Rutgers team that's playing a lot better, and and I'm I'm excited for them. I'm happy for them, um, and I think that this is better for college football. I just think it's better for college football if Rutgers is good. I I agree. I, I you know listen. I broke them down in the preseason. I said if they can get anything, anything from that offense. This is a bowl-bound team. The defense is a top 50 unit. Boy, have they performed like it. Now, listen, was that loss to Wisconsin probably a bad loss in, in hindsight? Yeah, it was. Uh, but I'm with you. I think 7-5 and five is absolutely on the table. I think they can get a team like Iowa. Uh, listen, getting Maryland at home at the end, I don't know what could happen in the last week of the regular season. Weird things happen. Uh, but 7-5 and five I think is absolutely realistic. For Rutgers. So, all of you Scarlet Knight fans, it's time to celebrate. We're going bowling. Uh, I'm really, really pumped uh, for each and every one of you. Oh, yeah. Uh, over to the group of five, you and I were very excited about this. We had it on the second screen at the function this afternoon. Toledo wins a classic 21 17 over Miami of Ohio. This was a battle of uh, in season leaders in the MAC, Toledo in the West, Miami of Ohio in the East. Uh, Brett Gabbert goes down with uh, what could be a very serious injury, was carted off with an air cast. Certainly hope he can recover. But uh, after that point, 
Miami of Ohio lost any ability to move the football. Avian Smith, the backup quarterback, actually ends up fumbling away their final opportunity, fumbling away the game, and uh, Toledo wins a close one. I know you were on the Red Hawks. Uh, without Gabbert, it, it certainly seems like that team might take on a different tone. Yeah, well, and they're going to need to figure it out with Smith because if, if they don't figure that out, um, could be rough, could be rough. Um, well, I think Gabbert wins that game if he stays in. I, they had all the momentum coming out of the half, too. They, I mean, they scored, like, I think 14 out of the half to make that game close, and then no points in the yep. fourth, like no points in the fourth quarter at all. So that breaks my heart for, for the Red Hawks fans, but you got to put your you know caps off for Toledo. They hung on, found a way on the road. Um, and shut down Avion Smith, who's not a he's not a scrub, he's not a bad player. Just I don't mm-hmm. think he was ready to come in. He was a little cold. Um, so you know they they practice him all this week. They can get back on their horse and keep going. But um, it, it's it's gotta it's gotta happen, right? That it's a good Red Hawks team who still has their sights on big things for this season, and and they still can succeed on the back half of this season. Just just gotta get it figured out at the quarterback position. Hopefully, you know Gabbard's somehow fine, but. You know, if he's not, you know, and he's out for a couple of weeks or if he's out for the season or whatever it is. Um, oh, then, you, yes, you went over to me. Hmm? Oh, there. We go. Oh, nope. Sorry. Just my earbuds disconnected. So we're, we're oh, all okay. good. I lost you for a second. All good, all good. Um, yeah. So this next week is essentially uh, what could be the, the battle for the East crown. Um, Miami of Ohio will take on Ohio. They'll also play Buffalo in a couple of weeks. Buffalo mm-hmm. is one in conference right now, but they're three and five uh, overall. One of the most confusing teams, honestly, in the country. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo, some weird results. Yeah, smacked around at the beginning of the season, and all of a sudden we get into conference play, and they're they're juggernauts. Uh, <laughs> very, 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 very interesting there. But yeah, yeah Miami, Miami of Ohio and Ohio certainly a game in the MAC to uh, to keep an eye on. Um, we'll talk Sun Belt here in just a second, but just a moment for a couple of bludgeonings in the Big 12. We talked oh, yeah. a minute ago. Oklahoma State wins 48-34 over West Virginia. We were on the fence about which way to go in this game. Oklahoma State ends up traveling, taking care of Neil Brown syndrome and uh, and knocking off the Mountaineers at home. Your boy, Ollie Gordon, another career day, 282 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. Oklahoma State seems like they found a pulse. Yeah, and it's because they realize that Ollie Gordon's a stud. Everyone's getting shocked by this. Okay, again, Ollie Gordon from my high school. Obviously, I graduated a few years before him. Um, I'm not gonna say it. I'm feeling older. You know, longer we go, but look, tease up, Ollie. You're you're crushing it out there. He got like what 29 carries in this game. Yeah, they just realize, oh, um, if our quarterbacks aren't gonna be elite, and if we're not gonna throw the ball over the yard, give the ball to Ollie Gordon, and uh, let's see what happens. And they've done that, and they've scored points. And four touchdowns later in this one, almost 300 yards on the ground. To me, Ollie probably could finish, not, you know, statistically, but by the end of this year, could finish as a top five back in the country, just in terms of what he's doing and what he means to his team. Um, and, and, you know, that's Oklahoma State's, you know, version of success now. Their version of success is give the ball to Ollie Gordon and let him just take care of business. That That's how they're going to win games. Um, and if they do that, they can win over some not so good teams left in the Big 12. So um, shout out Ollie Gordon, shout out the Cowpokes, getting back on track. And uh, yeah, Neil Brown syndrome, full swing right there. Uh, elsewhere, the other drubbing was Kansas State just obliterating TCU. 
Um, I was on the fence on this game as well. I thought, mm, you know, after after the way TCU handled business last week, maybe they maybe they travel up to Manhattan and and put on a show. I'm so glad I stuck with my guns, <laughs> stuck with Kansas State because 41 to three, the dual quarterback setup for Kansas State is looking lethal. Will Howard's the vertical threat, but Avery Johnson can come in. He can throw it a little bit. He can also run it over 70 yards rushing today. Their offense is looking harder and harder to stop as they continue to go through Big 12 play. Yeah, and this is the Kansas State team I think we expected to see at the beginning of the year. Yep. Hasn't worked out that way so far this season, but maybe starting to get a little bit of traction on the back half. Look, there's still big games on this Big 12 schedule. Um, and, you know, for me, I was looking at, you know, Texas and Oklahoma just rolling through the rest of the schedule. Some of these Big 12 teams are starting to look better. Um, I think I mentioned Baylor earlier. Some of these teams are really starting to play better football. It is not going to be a cakewalk for either Oklahoma or Texas through the end of this schedule. The way that they played today against, you know, Houston and uh, who's Oklahoma playing today? I forget. They UCF. Barely, yeah, they barely beat UCF. It's, you know. Yep. I mean, look, it's not going to be a cakewalk if you play some of these better teams on your schedule. If Ollie Gordon does what he wants to, Bedlam's in trouble. Sure, sure. Oh, Boy, I'm, yeah, I'm that... excited to watch the end of this slate for the Big 12. Bedlam's going to be Bedlam's going to be absolutely amazing. I cannot mm -hmm. wait for that game. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, Sunbelt games to get through here. We had three big ones on the radar. James Madison over Marshall 20-19. That was earlier in the week. Georgia State hangs on to beat Louisiana 20 to 17, an interception in the end zone thrown by the Raging Cajuns within 30 seconds sealed that game for the Panthers. And then Old Dominion shocks Appalachian State 28 21. Uh, out of those three games, you have any notes or, or, or notable performances? Just love James Madison. This is just the the feel good story I think for me in the Sun Belt. For, for me in the in the country, James Madison is just fun to watch. They're undefeated. They should be on the track for the for the you know G five bowl bid. They should be there. I, don't, I know. I'm gonna say this until you know we've beaten this horse all the way into the dirt. James Madison is getting robbed right now. This is a fun team to watch. Really good team. Uh, Reggie Brown with a good day as a receiver. Six catches, one twenty six, and a touchdown. Um, and, and just man, this James Madison defense stood up against Marshall. Didn't let him get anything. Um, Cam Fancher for Marshall, one seventy three passing and, a, and an interception. Ain't going to get it done. Um, I think they ended with negative four rushing yards on the day. So not a great day for Marshall on offense. Uh, but, you know, you have to give the credit to James Madison on that one. They should be allowed to play an important game at the end of the season. And once again, they won't. And that makes me mad. But whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I know it's a stupid rule uh, for old dominion, big win for the Monarchs at home, oh, sure. uh, Ricky Ronnie to get that win over app state. The Monarchs rushed for over 200 yards against the Mountaineers. Um, shout out to Kadarius Callaway, Keyshawn Wicks. They drove the boat, uh, for the Monarchs in that win in the Sun Belt. Now, uh, ODU very much alive in, uh, in the race for the Sun Belt championship. Um, two other games just to talk about very briefly in Conference USA. We have to talk Liberty being 7-0 and and Jacksonville State is 6-2. and Now, again, Jack State not eligible to the postseason because of that dumb NCAA rule. But for the Gamecocks to be 6-2, and they stun Western Kentucky 20-17. to It was just a barrage of field goals. 
quite impressive for Rich Rodriguez in his uh, in in his first year at the FBS level with Jacksonville State, and then Liberty beating Mid Tennessee State to be seven and zero. You know, making Conference USA and midweek football fun again. Yeah, I mean Liberty, great story, a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I think you know again Liberty maybe fighting with Air Force, maybe fighting with Tulane for that big spot in that G5 bit. I don't think they'll get it just because, you know, Conference USA is, I think, a tier down um, from where the rest of them are. But great story. And, man, I I think I'm officially on the train. Did you see the theory that, you know, you could get James Madison and Jacksonville State in Hawaii for an unofficial bowl game or whatever? I am officially on that train. Make it happen. If I got to pitch into the the Kickstarter or whatever we're going to do to make that game happen, make it happen, man. I want to see that game. These are two really good teams. Um, and I, I, I'm just, I'm pumped for Jacksonville State with what they've been able to do, getting up to this level. Um, I'm, I'm pumped for them. I'm excited to see where they can go as a program. And you know, with this new realignment and everything else, these are some smaller teams that their conferences might be more relevant. And all of a sudden, they're playing bigger football for the rest of the country. So, yeah, I'm just excited for where things are going. Mm-hmm. Punching the air over these stupid NCAA rules. Uh, last. Statistical nugget of the night. Going back to TCU, this is from Texas Football Life on Twitter. Uh, following the 41-3 loss tonight at Kansas State, this is the first time since 1993 that TCU has failed to score more than three points in a football game. The last time was the 93 regular season finale against the 10th-ranked Texas A&M Aggies in Fort Worth when the Horned Frogs fell 59-3. to how about that? We are making Ooh. history 30 years in the making tonight. Man. Not the kind that you want, though. Not a good night in Fort Worth, I guess. Um, also, la- uh, you were saying last-minute little statistical nugget. Last-minute live football nugget. In case you were wondering if things are changing here, uh, things are not changing here for Washington. Still 7-3. to three. They're facing a third and 11 in their drive coming out the locker room. Um, Washington, your foot is on the landmine. It is... It is dangerous territory here for us. He's got to figure it out. And as I'm saying it, I'm watching him not convert. That might be grounding too. Um, anyways, uh, I won't go too far in depth with this game, but no, yeah, there, there it is. Should be. So yeah, this is a this is a tough game to watch if you're you know rooting for the Huskies here, and uh, we'll see how this one ends up. We might be talking and to you all tomorrow morning. They're at home too, which is mm-hmm. shocking. But uh, this is the. This is the the letdown spot. A big yeah. emotional win at home last week against Oregon. They just did not get up you, for this game against Arizona me, State. You could have told me Arizona's going to come in there to do that. You could have told me, right. you know, Colorado somehow is going to come in and shock the world, right? Because, you know, they got all the hype machine behind them. But Arizona State? Yeah. What are you doing, Huskies? Get it together. Oh, man. Yeah. Tough scene right that, now. Tough scene. Definitely. All right, well, let's get out of here on that note. Great show tonight. Uh, For all of you that uh, stuck around in the YouTube chat, we appreciate you. Again, hit that subscribe button if you're new. We're so close to 400 subs. We'd love to have you a part of the Jimmys and the Joes. If you're over on Spotify, consider hopping over to the video side as well and following us at 3TechPod on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, just about anywhere. You get your sporting information. For Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. Until next time. So long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. How about that?